I assume this will be a bit of a shock as well for listeners uh, who are going to listen back to this. A bit random as five new voices. So let's uh, let everyone introduce themselves. Em, do you want to take the mic? Introduce. Sure do. Hi everyone, I'm uh, Em Collins. I run Music New South Wales, which is a state music body for contemporary music. And uh, yeah, that's who I am. Uh, I'm Flexi Ferg, or Matt as my friends call me. Uh, <laughs> I'm an artist and I run my own events around Sydney. And yeah, stoked to be here. Uh, hi, I'm Nick. I'm the head of music and nightlife at Merivale. Um, thanks for having us, Josh. Appreciate it. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex. I'm marketing manager at Solitel and look after predominantly the pub category. And I'm Mike, who's occasionally lovingly referred to or loathingly referred to as Sydney's first nightmare, but uh, uh, it's officially titled the 24-Hour Economy Commissioner, but uh, as I like to occasionally call myself the Commissioner for Hijinks. Um, yet to see if that works. Bit more context, uh, just so we all get to know each of the guests a little bit more intimately. Uh, what is our favourite venue slash event at the moment? Now, before we start, Solitel Maryvale guests, you're not allowed to pick your own venues. <laughs> I want you actually to pick the opposite. So Solitel, your favourite Maryvale venue, and Maryvale, your favourite Solitel venue. <laughs> Damn, you can start. Well, I work in music, so I'm not allowed to pick favourites, but I want to do a special shout-out to some new venues that have uh, popped up over the last couple of years that some people may not know about. Um, so, you know, we've seen the likes of uh, Phoenix Central Park, which is an amazing new venue in Central Park. Um, we've seen things like Jolene's. We've seen The Great Club, Pleasure's Playhouse, which is a short-lived but great adventure in live music. So I just want to shout-out to those people doing new things through tough times. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the 24-7 venues in Sydney, like the Abercrombie and the Bridge Hotel. <laughs> they definitely are up there for me. Nice one. Okay, Solitaire, here we go. <laughs> Tough one. Uh, no, massive respect to what you guys are doing with the uh, Abercrombie. I think that's amazing to get that venue open and uh, what it's doing for nightlife in Sydney is great. So massive kudos there. Uh, Favourite party... Pretty much anything that the Planet Trip crew put on is um, right up my alley. I'm very partial to dutty dancing when that goes down as well. That's me. Um, I'd say for me, for Maryvale, would probably be, I guess, of course, Ivy. It's got lots of cool parties, especially Lost Sundays. Very basic. Yeah, very basic. And <laughs> to, add, hard, to add to the basicness is probably Toddy's as well. Just, yeah, just being yeah, more basic. Yeah, 2 a.m., whatever. It's like, uh, which is my favourite child? It's a very hard, uh, the first one, clearly. No, no. Um, but I would... Uh, the, the thing about Sydney is that uh, it loves sporting new venues. So my favourite venue of the moment is one that hasn't even opened yet, which is Traz uh, on uh, Piermont Bridge Road in Camperdown, which I can walk to from my house. And so that is a, a big factor. It's accompanied by Booth Street Bakery, which is the, big, the, the bar me is now the new indicator of Sydney's uh, health when it comes to cuisine. So Booth Street Bakery, shout out to you. And I had a cracking meal the other night at Lana down at Hinchcliffe House. Um, so I've now offended half of Sydney's uh, food and beverage establishment, but, but there we go. Some clear agendas from the government guests here, pitching new venues only, jeez. Very good. <laughs> no, very good. Nice to meet you all. Now, the start of this, so also the questions we did prepare, the 
you know, of the ones that are prepared and there's a bit of structure. It was very apparent, so we used the feedback, the question that came in, though it was very apparent what the recurring issues were, and that's what we'll run through. But to give a bit of a brief overview before we dive into all of them, I think number one, broader point, Sydney's very down on their nightlife just for the sake of it, it seems. So we'll briefly touch on that in a moment. The second one is the rules and regulations kept coming up, whether that's closed times, prices, security, strictness. Third one was talent of DJs and diversity of events, especially with music type. Fourth was uh, different venues. People felt like there was a lack of venues in general. So they're basically the issues we'll kind of touch on today. And that gives a bit of a context. So that was resoundingly the feedback were those issues. There are a couple of fringe points like, you know, there's not enough hot guys in Sydney or not enough hot girls, but <laughs> we're not going to address those uh, tonight, just so we know. But yeah, I thought... It'd be good to get everyone's take um, of the guests on, I guess, why everyone is so neurotic about Sydney nightlife. I guess some of the obvious answers are going to be lockdowns and so on, but there, are there any other ideas we have for, yeah, why everyone just hates Sydney nightlife seemingly for the, for the sake of it? Em, if you want, you want to start. Well, I think we're, you know, we're... We love to talk about Sydney nightlife, and I think the distinction is is that we love to talk about it more than we love to be a part of it. And you know, it's, I think the there's been a long history with well, I guess recent in that context, but um, lockouts were really hard for Sydney, and it definitely gave uh, fuel to the fire to complain about nightlife, um, and with valid. Uh, you know, concerns. I think, though, there's something a bit deeper in the psyche of Sydney as a city around how we speak about our city. You know, if you speak to people from Melbourne, they cannot shut up about how great Melbourne is. And, you know, kudos to them for being proud of that. I think that's a really important thing. And I'm, I would love Sydney to be equally as proud. And I think we actually have a lot to be proud about. Um, but we do love to get down, <laughs> uh, not in the right way. We like to be down on Sydney instead of getting down. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a real issue and it's something that uh, maybe the lockouts just gave uh, ammunition to that conversation. But at the same time, nightlife um, is something that has been spoken about across the world, you know, um, particularly in like a whole lot of cities. We're not the only city talking about how do we make nightlife better, nighttime economy. You know, I think this we're not alone in that challenge um, and we're not alone in trying to understand um, how to make it a 24-hour economy instead of just daytime. So I think, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's not just us. <laughs> Um, I don't know if I agree with the sentiment totally. I think uh, maybe it's just the circles I travel in, but um, I'm, I come across an overwhelming sense of positivity and energy about nightlife in Sydney at the moment. And I, <coughs> I kind of get the feeling that people who complain and say that Sydney's dead and whatever are the people that don't go out. Because if you go out, especially if you're you know, out in uh, you know, the places that I hang out on the weekend, you'll see like thousands of kids having an incredible time. And... Um, yeah, I think we've kind of moved past that. And I think the media have a role to play in helping to tell the right kind of stories and, and getting that kind of good news message out to the masses a little bit more. I uh, kind of have an accord with that. And it's been frustrating for me in my role, which is really trying to change a narrative. And, you know, we've made some progress on that. But to sit around and you watch commentary and typically on the media side, with one exception, which I'll come to, 
uh, it's people who went out in 1980 or something like that. And then when, when you actually say, when did you last go out, mate? They're like, oh, yeah, it's, I can't get a steak at midnight in Sydney. How often do you want a steak at midnight in Sydney? You know, it's like you, you're not honouring like the commitment to going out and you're, you're channelling a kind of story that's been fed to you and you're just repeating um, and you have a greater duty than um, that given your elevated status in the media industry. You need to be correct. So the one exception to this is, of course, Mike Coziel sitting in the front row there who uh, in a very recent article said, um, whining about nightlife is passe. Yes, we had lockout laws, but they ended more than three years ago. We might have some catching up to do, but if you want to throw shapes at 2am on a Tuesday, there are places you can go. If you still think there's nothing to do, learn how to use Google. <laughs> can, I, can I jump in there? Mike, what places do you go to at 2am on Tuesday? Is this Mike in the front row? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Scary Canary Silent Disco, correct answer. <laughs> Flexi, you next. <laughs> sorry, I've got to addendum this one because number, num- oh, number 20 was don't try to resist Maryvale, no matter how much you try. So. <laughs> uh, i got to agree that uh, Sydney is criminally underrated. Honestly, I feel like up the comparison to Melbourne like Melbourne's obviously epic but I have so much more fun here I just feel like you definitely have to look a little bit harder in Sydney but with lockout laws and all the stuff that we went through I feel like so many crews got so creative there was a lot of like you know borderline illegal parties or whatever and people have really like pushed the boundaries of what they can do in this city and I think that um, the creative community's definitely used everything we've been through as an opportunity and as you said it's been three years since lockout laws went and since then, it's been booming, honestly. I feel like we're in a super renaissance period right now and there's new venues opening up, 24-7 licenses. Like, I think it's an exciting time to be in the Sydney music scene, honestly. Yeah, I agree. I think it's also that stop-start mentality that's been happening since COVID restrictions. Like, Obviously, New South Wales has such strict regulations with able to like not being able to dance and not being able to stand in venues. And it's sit just down that... Sit-down parties. Yeah, sit-down <laughs> parties. And that stop-start mentality kind of just added fuel to the fire but I totally agree with you like there's so much awesome stuff happening throughout Sydney and it's just educating people and getting people back out there throughout the week not just the weekends and really kind of pushing people to know what's going on. Club 77 is doing an awesome job of that right now heaps of parties all through the week lots of free stuff Monday nights amazing internationals and stuff so cool and vote me off the podcast any moment right but like two nights ago I was out in um, Howden Street Lakemba um, there's been more than 1.2 million people through that and there's still a couple of nights before Ramadan finishes. So that fest, fest well, I guess, celebration quadrupled in size like in one year and it's one of these things where what, when we talk about nightlife, what are we talking about, you know, and we're sort of still, and no offence to this podcast, um, we are framing it, we are framing it in a relatively narrow sense and... Um, in my role, like which is to get people out of the house, because ultimately the competitor is Netflix combined with Uber, if you may. Like, I, I, I just have to think about how do I get people out of the house and then keep them out, because that's where good things happen, you know. And if that's for a night out, awesome. If that's involving, um, you know, ice cream, walk on the beach, great. If it's throwing shapes uh, with Mike Coziol at the Ivy, sure, <laughs> I'll, I'll give anything a go. Yeah, that's actually worth noting. Like the context of this is very like narrow, but. Like, for Bondi Lions podcast, we cover dance floor venues. It's probably the easiest way to cover it. With with exceptions, we are broadening out. But yeah, it is narrow. So we're... And I guess the next... What we move on to is... 
within that context, and I don't like to play devil's advocate with everyone here, but I will move on to some points where I think there are objectively areas that can be improved upon. Uh, I'll, I'll use an anecdote. Well, I'll, I'll put this on a platter for you, Flex, because okay. <laughs> uh, security was an issue that came up <laughs> heaps in the question and responses, and I was talking to Flexi before, and Flexi had a, a good one. Well, we'll more, more broadly, Flexi, what are your thoughts on security guards? Don't let this story bias it. <laughs> so in general, New South Wales definitely has uh, a tendency to over-police things, over-security, um, not pe give people their freedom. And I always find when you give people their freedom, they act better. But we kind of have the opposite mentality here a little bit. And the story you're talking about <laughs> is I was playing in Cronulla three weeks ago, I think, at the Miranda Hotel. Carmen's. Yeah, Carmen's, yeah. Um, super fun event. Like, there was like a thousand people there, um, like, packed out, really fun. And I was wearing a hat, as I'm wearing right now, because I often wear a hat. I like wearing hats. And uh, apparently a rule down there is that you can't wear hats in the venue. <laughs> So I had to run to Oxford Arts Factory to play a gig straight after and I was about 10 steps from the door and this security guard comes up to me and he goes, Oi, mate, you can't wear a fucking hat in here. And I was like, man, I literally just got off the fucking decks. Like, I'm leaving. Like, all good. I took three more steps, so I'm about seven steps from the door. He runs back over, grabs me with both hands and goes, I told you to take your fucking hat off. Blah, blah, blah. And I'll admit, I was a bit of a smart ass. I told him to leave his small man attitude at the door. I'm leaving to go to another gig. And I got manhandled by two security guards and fully thrown onto the street uh, for wearing a hat in a venue. So, I mean, I feel like that shit does not happen anywhere else in the world. Only Cronulla. Yeah, like, <laughs> fucking hell, it was hectic. And I, I had a full adrenaline rush. I was like, oh my God, like I'm being manhandled. Um, but uh, yeah, like, you know, I've, partied all around the world and I can't imagine like anything happening like that but on the flip side there is like good things here like uh, I always look at the security guys at the Bridge Hotel like they're absolute legends like they take care of stuff when it needs to be taken care of but they're, they're on the dance floor they're chilling like I remember I was closing the inside room there once at 8am in the morning and I decided to end with uh, Isla Bonita, Madonna, you know, I fell in love with San Pedro <laughs> and the security guard was on the dance floor and I ended up salsa dancing with him as I was closing the room so it's like the two extremes but I think Sydney definitely has a propensity to uh, yeah, over police and lots of ego and lots of power trips and security when we should all kind of be in harmony. And Mark, do you want to add some context here because I think you're probably best place to give the background. It's probably an opportunity to give people an insight into, look at us, hybrid, opening up to the audience. Uh, insight into, I guess, the limits of your role. It's not as simple as just, let's make everything shut at 8 a.m. Um, so yeah, maybe some insights into, I guess, the limits of your role, but then also some background into what's going on with all these regulations and to flag some specifics. Closed times are brought up heaps, security guards, which you talked about. And then the other one was pricing, which may not be part of this. Uh, I think uh, going back to my Netflix and Uber comment, it's not a throwaway line, like, but that is the competitive set. If you look at uh, these and delivery mechanisms like, and you look at the effort comparison, reward, certainty of delivery ex of experience in a going out sense, bearing in mind you've had a pandemic which has proliferated the use of home delivery and streaming and all those things, like the price thing is something we can come back to. And, you know, there's a discussion about real estate and how culture, stroke F&B, whatever you want to call it, is perceived in 
context of uh, rent, which generally comprises a third of the cost of operating. So all these things add up, right? So in terms of like the lived experience um, around regulation, uh, and again, you'd be conscious, and this will come out in a little while, but there's been a change of government in New South Wales. There's um, a, I guess, a narrative really around, and there are reforms afoot around things like the Liquor Act. And this is a major piece of reform that is coming. Um, it will be too slow for the likes of Graham Cordery and others who are Soda Factory Chief here and who, who, who you know, on a daily basis are trying to juggle and balance the books to make sure that there's enough profitability in the business, etc. But there's a deep dive currently into the Liquor Act um, and other parts of the matrix, which is way too complex and boring for a podcast like this, which is up, meant to be upbeat. So, you know, but the good thing about it is that um, at least self-serving as it sounds, there is an office. <laughs> New South Wales is the only economy, central economy globally with the Office of the 24-Hour Economy Commissioner and a strategy and a plan and a coordinating function. So I think to your question, Josh, about policing, planning, sound management, all of these things, um, you know, myself, colleagues, we have at least a accountability within government to try to break through some of this stuff. And, yeah, I'm keen to understand from Alex, from uh, Nick, um, other guests, you know, what the lived experience is between the government's ambition and now. Are we starting to see audiences come out? Is the licensing more flexible? Uh, Odd Culture got granted a 4am licence in Newtown. They're going to open a venue, all these sorts of things. Like, these are, to me, the green shoots of what's possible. The question is, can we get people out of the house now to enjoy it, which goes to the, the cost issue. Yeah, and on Abercrombie, what's the... Has that always had a 24-hour licence? Yeah, so Abercrombie, we inherited the 24-hour licence, but I think it's been such a win for Sydney and, like, the demand has been there. But... You know, the first few weeks were obviously super busy and our Friday-Saturday trade is great and through the roof, but it's also not feasible for us to trade 24 hours all the time. Um, you know, most weekends we close at 5, 6 a.m. because the demand really isn't there. We, depending on which collectives and which kind of promoters want to come in, then we'll extend and do a 24-hour party. But I think even during the week, like, it's, it's quiet. Like, we've just reduced our hours even further, like, because there is that demand isn't there and I think as like from a venue perspective it's the biggest thing that we're trying to do is like educate and exactly what Mike said it's not just about nightclubs it's about restaurants it's about different things coming to the precincts to bring more people out of their home and that's currently what we're not really seeing and it is kind of just you know we're throwing everything at it like looking at you know specials late night happy hours all those sorts of things to bring people out but it really comes down to consumers and making sure that the demand is there and that people are out and about and want to come to the venues not just weekends but also during the week yeah and on that because there's also regulation how you can advertise right like what's from a marketing perspective like what are your limits on how you can advertise and get people through to the venue because i don't think people would appreciate the limits you have there's not actually any real like regulations or anything that hinder our ability to promote events or parties or anything like that i think it's more around like it comes into consideration when we're putting on events and experiences like you take venues like um the bank in newtown who has a beautiful courtyard or king's cross rooftop and we're not allowed to have live music up there or any sound above a certain decibel because of like residents and like noise restrictions so i think that's probably the biggest thing that hinders our ability to put on great events and different experiences is 
that local residents and like really strict regulations on music and what we can do. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that people don't, who aren't in the industry don't really understand is that we do have noise restrictions coming from residents. And like if we do put an event on, like we'll get complaints and it's just, it's a headache. And that's probably the biggest thing like most of the venues feel um, and even Abercrombie, like we've had noise restrictions left, right and centre. So we're trying to kind of, you know, we're moving speakers, we're shutting doors, we're trying all these different things to be able to like still keep it a great experience without pissing off all the neighbours. <laughs> it's hard. Well, to be fair, we sat back with Abercrombie and we kind of suspected there wouldn't be demand for it. So when it went so well, it was like, this is awesome. It's like, why can't we do more of this? Like I was at Cargo like a month ago and at 3 a.m. it was packed. And it's like, it was forcibly shut at three. And then you see the Abercrombie so successful. So in my head, it's like, yeah, there could be so many more of those types of venues. Yeah, um, for sure. What are Maryvale thinking, if anything, about late night venues? And I guess more broadly, like what, because to the precinct point, like, is that something on the, is that something that Maryvale, Solitaire, these groups think about when setting up a venue? Or is it much more independent where it's, no, we know it takes a good venue, we can drop it anywhere, and it's going to be successful. Um, I think the precinct thing with Ivy was very purposeful, and it's a, it's a really huge part of our success that, <coughs> aside from the club, which we were very careful about um, the diversity of programming, so that we're not like trying to get the same group of people in like, every night of the week, we're talking to different groups of people from across Sydney and different musical styles and all that stuff across a week so that we can try and bring different people in. But it's also then all the restaurants and bars and all the other stuff that's around it that interacts with that space and it brings different people into the city for different reasons and it encourages people to connect and interact that might not have the opportunity to ever come across each other. And it all feeds off each other it, it itself. Like we we keep all the restaurants at Ivy, like Jimmy's, Bar Toddy's, Bar Topper, Moomoo. They're all open till like two o'clock in the morning now. So you can go and get like a beautiful meal and some nice cocktails or whatever at like one thirty or two o'clock in the morning. And that is only possible because there's just so much other stuff going around. And we've got you know thousands of people in the club who come out at one o'clock in the morning, grab a falafel on the way back to the train, and and it's that's a real key part to us being able to do that and i think from a development perspective we're certainly like looking at how we can replicate that success by not just doing like one thing but how is there like an ecosystem of stuff and back to mike's point that's not just how do you have more places for people to drink it's how do, how do you have food offerings and shops and all these other things that create um a real reason for people to be out and engaging with our city and can I throw back to Mike? Because we've actually talked about this on this podcast, saying, yeah, there should be more precincts because Sydney's very destination-based. It's very apart. So creating what was King's Cross, like, is there, a, well, yeah, an opinion. Is there a role for government? Because that's the other thing with this, which I'm really interested in having Mary Ballant Solitel representatives here, is the nightlife industry, first and foremost, is for profit. So it's like... Even if we want to encourage more live music, if money's not coming through the door, a venue can't necessarily justify that to stop it. So I guess that's one. Is that is there a role for government in that, Mike? And then also with making a precinct, is there a role for government in um, you know, subsidising is one idea? Like, is there a place for that? 
I think so. Um, well, and factually there is because otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here as the Commissioner for 24 Hour Economy and I could be signing my own uh, resignation or getting myself redundant if I get this answer wrong. But like it's, um, and, and what the government strategy sets out in the area is, and has been enabled ultimately, or accelerated I should say by the pandemic, is a decentralisation of going out habits. And so if you think back to, uh, you know, the pre-lockout era, the three, four destinations, the CBD, King's Cross, maybe Newtown. Like, that was... And then, you know, Bondi Manly, sure, a little bit. Anyone been to Burwood recently? Like, it is going off over there, um, as an example. As I said, Lakemba the other night. Like, so what's happened is that as a result of uh, the pandemic and flexible working, there's been a reallocation of capital across the city and people's time spent commuting is being reduced fundamentally. And this is very generic statements. I know it doesn't apply to everybody. I just want to be really clear about that. But this is... So what's actually happened is the um, two things. The CBD of Sydney um, is now a destination for going out as opposed to a destination for work where you then go out afterwards. Like, the product is... The product is incredible. Like, I've just got to say, the stuff that you know, is on offer there is... And Sydney has capital, so people are going to give it a go. And if you look at uh, uh, some of the entertainment offerings coming into the city at the moment, and I know there's more coming, it's just remarkable, the choice that is there. I think as well, like, over the last kind of year and a bit after the pandemic, the government has given away so many great grants, and especially, like, to Solitel, we've done a whole bunch of things with grants. Um, you know, last year we did The Longest Night, which was a festival across 24 hours with 17 venues with 100 different acts all free and like that wouldn't have been possible without the government doing grants there's all these um smaller collectives where like paddington are coming together like all different businesses to kind of come up with one big event um chippendale What's that event? so the Paddo collective so it's an uptown grant system that the government introduced oh. as well which i'm sure michael can talk more about as well but you know, just hand that over to him. Um, but Chippendale are doing it as well. Pato are doing it. So it's like, it's really great to kind of have, I think, these government subsidies to help bring everyone, A, together and work kind of building up these precincts and then also putting on great events for everyone. So... What's your... Oh, so you go, Flex. Uh, I was just going to say quickly, like, all this stuff is amazing, but um, going back to your point about noise restrictions, that's the big thing that I think Sydney really struggles with, like... How do we get to the point where we can create all these precincts again, like King's Cross was, when every venue has all these problems? Um, like, how does the how do the residents have so much power when these venues have often been there for years and years before them? Like the Sly Fox closing years ago, like that was heartbreaking. Like, like what can we do as a industry to get past those obstacles? Because it kind of seems futile at sometimes in Sydney. Like I've lived in a couple of cities around the world, and it seems like here people care the most about noise out of anywhere I've ever been. I guess what Mike's saying, correct, don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're saying it, you can't just change it overnight. It's a bit of a cultural, depends who's in power. Uh, look, it's a, it's a question of what city you want to be, I think. And um, I'm on record as saying cities aren't libraries. Um, you know, and noise also means people are around and is safety is another way of thinking about it. Um, and, you, you know, I think I'm going to put this one on the newly elected government. Like, there is now a minister, Minister John Graham, for music and the nighttime economy, the first globally. If you say that 
democracy works and we voted, the, then the vote's being made clear. Now, how do my, me and this team here work to bring that vision to fruition? It will not be easy because um, <laughs> Sydney real estate, there's a saying in David Williamson quote, I'll get it wrong, right? Like it's, uh, you know, nobody ever debates a meaning in life in, in Sydney. It's all about um, getting yourself a waterfront and a view. In Melbourne, all v views are equally depressing, um, you know. So <laughs> it's something like that, uh, David Williamson. Um, and, and, and so we've got this situation where, um, and the tree changes, sea changes thing is an opportunity, I think, in the sense that uh, you've got a significant change in demographics, uh, millennial consumption, um, you know, huge. And, you know, now what city do we want to be? That's my question. And um, in, in terms of the regulation, we can do the analysis and all the rest of it. But fundamentally, like it is, it, I think it's the, the the single biggest one for for this for us to work with in the next little while. The liquor act stuff and all the planning stuff is different. Noise and sound is um, just yeah, like we've we've uh, yeah, you know, pe people want the um, the vibrancy of a city, but the 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 sleep characteristics of the country, and those two things just don't go too well together. Um, is there enough variety of music? Because this is a to kind of work through the main issues people brought up. One of them was yeah, it's a lack of events and there's a lack of variety of music from your perspective. Yeah, is there enough variety? Look, I think um, there are a lot of different things going on, and and you know sometimes it's hard to know exactly all the things that are happening. But if people feel like, and if that's come through your channels, that there isn't enough variety. Um, I would say that people need to also understand like what variety is is a result of, you know, that it comes when there's um, opportunity to experiment. You know, a lot of venues, um, it's very difficult to put on live music. It's an expensive task. Um, you don't always make money from putting on live music. You, off you can lose it, if <laughs> you know, because um, it can be challenging. So when you start to see people making economic decisions around how they program things, you know, often, you know, if you've been struggling financially for a while, you're going to go for the things that um, bring you income so your venue doesn't close. And so I think we've definitely seen some hardship. At the same time, though, I would say there's some incredibly exciting things happening in Sydney on all levels, whether it's underground or not. Um, and I think it's an obligation of everyone in this room and uh, um, punters generally is to get out and see it. You know, there's sort of two roles I see in a thriving nighttime economy. You're either doing shit or you're getting out and supporting it and, um, and singing, singing about how good it is from the rooftops. And um, I'd like to see us do a lot more of that. To circle back, should we subsidise things like live music? Because, yeah, it is expensive and at the moment... I'd actually be curious to see what you guys think of this as well. But from reports we get, which isn't everything, but yeah, like live music, there's not a lot of demand for it and there's a bit of a struggle to consistently put on bands, live music. That if that is the case, assuming that's true, should we subsidise it? I think in the short term, it's definitely a good option to... Um, we are, you know, post-pandemic or whatever that means. Um, we need to look at how we kickstart, um, you know, things that have been through a whole lot of 
um, challenges and trauma and change. And so um, I would consider it seed funding. You know, it's about trying to get stuff happening. Um, at the end of the day, you know, people I speak to in the music industry, they don't want to be a subsidised sector. They want to be commercially viable and make money and everyone thrive and chase good opportunities. I don't think it's about um, changing that business model, um, but I do see a role for government to help those businesses get back on track. And, you know, not just post-pandemic, but also um, post-lockouts. Um, you know, we a lot of people and venues and businesses went through a lot of hardship and we've. this isn't just about... Um, throwing music ac activities. It's about rebalancing things and making sure that we have the right people um, doing great things and supporting them to do it. Can I throw to you to, yeah, well, firstly, is there a noticeable difficulty in putting on live bands consistently? And then second question is, yeah, when choosing the entertainment of a venue, how much do you think of bottom line versus cultural artistic element like are you happy to put something up for a loss if you think that it's really good for the city or something broader um i mean the reality is there are bills to pay and mouths to feed and it costs money to operate a venue in a high-risk environment and it costs money to have staff working and put on you know the show that people expect when they go to a nightclub or a live music venue and however cool stuff you want to do for the city you have to look at it through a commercial lens or you're going to go broke and that's bottom line reality so i mean we were some of the first to reopen post-covid and you know i will say that without the support and the help of the state government with a lot of funding there are a lot of things that we wouldn't have been able to do to engage promoters and djs and bands and actually get people back working but i really agree with emily that that funding needs to be to like get the ball rolling it's not about oh let's just put on a free event and it needs to be long-term stuff like instead of doing like one thing that everyone goes oh that was great but it needs to be let's start getting the ball rolling and then as much as it's the role of government to help support that stuff it's the role of the people in the city and the community to get out and spend money and be a part of culture if you want that to grow and yeah i can't i can't emphasize that enough it's like demand creates opportunities and if you're not going out and supporting culture and creativity and people who are taking a risk on stuff then you can't expect it to get better yeah i mean i agree with everything Nick said like it is very much you know you have two kind of focuses it is like you want to create cool cultural events and keep moving forward and pushing the boundaries being creative and kind of doing more things but at the end of the day you know numbers are important and it's what keeps us kind of going and we'll do whatever we can to kind of you know we definitely try different things and push um, on a certain thing but I think as well you know, Solitaire, we try and do like a lot of free events, but then by using like our beverage partners to kind of subsidize costs and things like that, which really helps. But I think, you know, there is still a place for like ticketed events and live music is just a little bit, it's expensive and it's hard to kind of stick with. Lexi, you Hello. actually are, because I guess the counterpoint to this is what the challenges have brought is creativity and you're... I'm gonna I'm gonna dub you the forefront of the underground scene in Sydney. Um, but yeah, g actually give us title. give us some insight because everyone talks about underground, but there's never a tangible like event to go with underground. It's just this loose term. Um, I suppose when I think of underground, I mean there's lots of 
underground events at venues with a certain style of music but i think i would think more about like what we do our raves like illegal parties um using spaces that aren't really being used uh, industrial areas and stuff and transforming that space into a place where people can connect and dance and free themselves um which is amazing honestly running the parties that we do has been like i love playing in clubs i play in clubs all the time and um it's a massive opportunity and like, I'm grateful for that, but the stuff we've been able to do outside of that has been way more fulfilling for me, I guess, in a way, because it just creates this really community-based thing where people are just supporting you. And, um, yeah, it's, like, a beautiful thing, and people are really appreciative of that. And we were doing it... I mean, I'm throwing myself under the bus here a little bit, but kind of during COVID, but when the government was saying that 40,000 people could go to the footy, but 50 people couldn't dance in a room, we were like, that's bullshit, um, Come on, mate. Yeah, like, 40,000 people at the footy, like, people, like, as much as sometimes media portrays the stuff as we do is, like, you know, people just getting fucked up, it's really not. It's it, There's a lot of connection, there's a lot of love, there's a lot of appreciation for music, and um, what we always try and do is just, like, yeah, give people these spaces and circling back to security and stuff, like, we don't have security we have people that like check tickets or stuff we didn't always do that but since we got more legit we started ticketing these things and we've always found that giving people more freedom has made them act better in these spaces um but obviously like there's a big risk we take because we're liable if anything does happen on stuff but also to be fair this is kind of off topic but when we have had police come and shut us down and stuff if we treat them with respect even though there is this kind of over policing in new south wales it seems like um if we treat them when they come with respect, they usually just like, you know, we're like, all right, we're here, we've got water here, these people are taking care of people, like, uh, everything's under control, they're usually like, okay, just get out of here, and we're like, yep, give us 40 minutes to clean up, it'll be cleaner than when we got here, and that's it. Are you so meant to get arrested? What's the etiquette here? Um, I mean, not supposed to, but I've heard stories of it happening. Um, yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> but yeah, I have heard of people having to go to court and stuff, like the stuff that we do scary talking about this in front of government but <laughs> um we'll get it we'll get it yeah <laughs> no no um but yeah but i think like the stuff that we've done has been born out of all the, the the struggles that new south wales has been through and it's cool to see there's a whole community that does these sort of things and generally like the whole adventure of getting there and you know buying a ticket not knowing where it is getting sent the location on the day kind of weeds people out that aren't actually going to be a positive contributor to that environment um but yeah, I think there is room for this stuff to go um, like hand in hand with policy and stuff as well. Like, there's a lot of people doing this stuff, and I think if 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 it was like more borderline legal and there was spaces like I think Vivid is doing um, old old train tunnels or something coming up, which is amazing. Like that is epic. Like that is so what Get you in there, mate. I would love to. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I would love to. Um, so yeah. Um, Sorry, my mind just went backwards to what we were saying about the um, like diversity of events and music as well. Can I quickly touch on that before I forget? I feel like it's been a step in the right direction having these 24-7 licenses coming out and stuff because what I find in Sydney is that like short set times kill the creativity of the scene. What's a short set time? One hour. Or sometimes you see 45 minutes and that's a joke. Like a headliner should be... I mean, it's like one and a half hours here usually, but it should be two, three, four. Like when I was cutting my teeth in Mexico, like playing over there, I was playing four, five, six hours. And it. How long are you playing tonight? 
uh, an hour and a half. Oh. <laughs> but like that standard like headline set sort of thing in Sydney, it's just how the scene is because everything has closed at 3 a.m. and we haven't had a chance to let people because. I, I see now, I know it's also the young generation, they're excited and they play a lot faster music. Like I rock up to a lot of events that I'm booked to play at now and people are playing really fast early. And it's okay, I get it that that's like a kind of change in the, in the sound. But if they didn't just have an hour, if less people were on the lineup and more people had an opportunity to go on a musical adventure, I don't think people would feel the pressure to play an hour of bangers. And you can expose people to a lot more different music when you have more time. Like if I'm playing an hour, then I know that I just have to like, you know, like 1 a.m. or whatever, then that's what I'm gonna have to do. But if I'm playing four hours, like, you know, I can start slow, I can play some breakbeat stuff that's not super high energy and then, you know, change it. And, and, and that's what I think we miss a little bit in Sydney is like an exposure to more genres. But I think it's more about the timing rather than a lack of diversity in the city because there are a lot of people doing really amazing stuff. Related question, because another thing that came up was the DJs in Sydney are shit. <laughs> so in terms yeah. of actual quality like ah uh, well it's it's cool you bring up mexico yeah i was living over there for a year and a half epic how many yeah. gigs did you do uh a few i in my last week living there the first time because i was on the exchange there studying um and i just started djing in sydney or like i've been djing for a little bit but started getting good gigs and i was a bit nervous about going over there but i fell in with the right crowd and in the last week i played at bar americas which is the biggest club in guadalajara and it was a wednesday night 400 people and they gave me four hours and I was like, whoa, this does not happen in Sydney, you know? And from that, I played, they cancelled the person on Saturday and put me on their sister club on the Saturday as well. And yeah, just like having that opportunity to play these extended sets really helped me develop as an artist. And I feel like a lot of um, Sydney artists don't get that opportunity. Like they get warm up sets and they feel like they only have an hour, so they have to just play their biggest tunes and try and like push through the scene by doing that. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't try and play their best tunes because like people hit me up and say hey I'm playing before you like what BPM should I finish on and stuff I never really tell them what to I think you should read the room yourself but I think giving people more time and venues that have more hours allows artists to explore themselves and not just have like not soulless because it is fun to play bangers for an hour sometimes but like it just get, allows artists to find their soul more and find what they want to express more if that makes sense. So do you think the DJs in Sydney are worse? Than no, there's so many amazing um, DJs well, in Sydney. Overall, though, not anecdotally, overall. Um, overall, maybe, because the scene has been a bit hard lately, but I'm going to be anecdotal and go to Lost Paradise and say how amazing it was the day that I played on Paradise Club. The whole lineup that whole night was all Sydney locals. It was Waxley, Sophie, Branko, then it was me for the sunset, Caleb Jackson after, James Pepper after that and then Conspiracy crew to close. And me and all my friends were there the whole night, like so many international artists at that festival. And that stage was absolutely pumping that whole night, whole Sydney lineup. And it was like one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen. So I think it's unfair to say that DJs are usually shit up in Sydney. I understand where that like idea can come from. I just think you have to look harder here. And there are a lot of really, really talented individuals in the city. Nick, what do you think? Um, I think the caliber of talent that comes out of Sydney and if you just look at some of the um, the international success of some people who have come up in the scene here and done amazing things and come back um, is testament to how good it is here. I mean, I've traveled the world and lived in New York and lived in London and I can honestly say that the talent that I see on a day-to-day -day basis coming through like 
things that I book and gigs that I go to is, is world-class for sure. I think there's definitely some merit to talk about a window of time when we had COVID and lockout and things like that where kids didn't have the opportunity to pursue music, whether it's professionally or whether it's like just throwing a party and getting together and, you know, DJing or getting the opportunity to actually play in a club. So there's a bit of a window of time where I think there wasn't the opportunity for kids to get into it, but it's it hasn't really stifled the creativity, I think. I think the pipeline of talent that's coming through Sydney, but Australia in general is definitely world-class. So uh, I say to people who think Sydney DJs are shit, then <laughs> you're just not hanging out in the right places, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. We actually got a DM about the Beresford and yeah, we just said, if you don't like the DJ, just leave. It's pretty easy. Um, play ABBA. <laughs> there's a lot. He didn't even play ABBA. Jeez. Um, well, well, we'll start to round, round it up. A uh, bit of a fun... Oh, God, our standard for fun is low, if this is the fun, but uh, just some thoughts around out on the, the future of Sydney nightlife. Um, we'll go one by one and then wrap it up, open it up for a couple of questions, depending how good they are. Um, <laughs> but yeah, state of Sydney nightlife in 10 years. What do we think the biggest change will be? What will be, what'll be different about Sydney nightlife in 10 years? I mean, I think for now, like, obviously we're also connected with our phones and, you know, social media and we're so able to, like, access everything that's happening all around the world in such, like, amazing countries and what people are doing it's forcing all of us here to be a more creative and kind of push the boundaries a little bit because people here see what's happening everywhere else and expect a high like a much more higher standard so i think that's um as a company solitaire like we're pushing to be more creative do more things and i think we'll just continue to see this and kind of see more of these immersive experience and who knows ai might do something kind of yeah cool. the we'll see. that chat gpt yeah, stuff's crazy yeah, yeah. Go on, Flex. I'll go then. Um, I honestly think it's really exciting. I think, um, obviously, changing government. It's been a bit of a long time coming, if you're a creative, I think. And everything's looking kind of positive. Um, as I said, there's lots of crews doing amazing things. Um, even the last two years, I've seen so many things pop up. Like, even look at the Ivy Lost Sundays. Like, that's a completely new thing. And it's, like, been pumping for, what, nearly two years now. Um, Lots of other small things are popping up. New venues keep coming up, um, which is something I think we definitely needed. And, yeah, I think I, I, I'm really positive about Sydney, honestly. Like, being COVID is the reason I've been back for so long. But, um, yeah, everything looks like it's really coming up. And I spent a bit of time in Melbourne. And, honestly, it's like, you know, there's good things here. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Um, like, uh, yeah, pretty much got a positive outlook i think there's a lot of work to do and i think yeah as we've talked about a lot of challenges and issues but it seems like people are looking forward and getting rid of that kind of mentality we we're talking about at the beginning like people that are actually in the scene are excited about the scene and they're not like leaving it because they think it's shit like it's it's definitely on the up and there's lots of things to be excited about even like like markets like we were talking about before like i went there last week and it was absolutely pumping amazing food and such a cultural exchange like even outside of the music, I think um, Sydney is becoming a later city and it's going back to what it was before we kind of shut down the whole nightlife. I think even if you look at what, you know, what we just did for Sydney World Pride, like if anyone oh, was on the that streets. That was amazing. Yeah, like Mardi Gras night was absolutely insane and the whole two, two, three weeks, it was just so cool to see Sydney turn it on like that and it was 
It was insane. It was so cool. Yeah, just quickly, like, best party I've ever been to in Sydney was during that Kinsella's on the last night. Oh, my God. It was like <laughs> Berghain in there. It was honestly <laughs> insane. I was like, I am in Europe. <laughs> uh, sure. Um, I, I think uh, we've touched on it. Hey, like, it's, um, to me, there's a really, comp when you're in government, things get entirely complicated. There's strategy documents with 39 action points, blah, 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 right. But what excites me the most and I've come into the role and can see uh, is just a new generation of cultural leadership. Like that's the single biggest shift that you will see, which the, the impact of the th you know, business owners who are 30 to 35 calibrating what the audience wants to the product that's now on offer um, will be the thing that defines Sydney in the next 10 years. So my plea is let's not fuck it up. Yeah, I think we're actually about to enter our real golden age of music in, in this state. Um, you know, it's been nothing like a challenge to really make you hone in on your craft and, and, and you know, really define what you want. And I think um, Sydney's had enough time to work out what it wants and it, it's got all its ducks in a row. I think it's going to be an incredibly um, exciting time. And, um, yeah, with, with a change of government, with commitment to music, um, with, you know, commitment to nightlife, I think... Um, we are in an excellent position to not just, you know, be be an incredible city in Australia, but actually be a world leader. And I think we need to aim higher and be confident that we can do that. Um, <coughs> yeah, when I when I first moved to Sydney in like the early two thousands, um, I was blown away by Sydney and Sydney's nightlife and and how incredible it was here. And you you could go out on Thursday and still be out on Tuesday. Uh, it, it was a pretty incredible place, and I think so much work has been done over the last couple of years by uh, you know Mike and lots of people in the private sector, and and I think we're on the right trajectory to get back there and hopefully surpass that and kind of go beyond. Um, we just got to keep the train on the tracks, and I think it's it's um, you know hopefully the new the new government keeps supporting Mike and giving him more resources and more support to do the great work that he's doing and. Um, I hope that uh, you know the media get behind the city as 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 they should and keep telling those good stories uh, about the great things that are going on and and um, you know I know it's been raised a few times before but the future of this city is in the hands of like the next generation of people to like take it and run with it and support it and it's up to you know the young people of today and tomorrow to shape that future not us really. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for coming on tonight. Uh, we don't have a heap of time, but if there's anyone with a really good question, um, we can open up. Yeah, come through. Big jacks. We'll do, we'll, do, we'll do two or three, depending how long they go. But yeah, state the question and state who you would like to answer it. I would like everyone to answer this, actually mainly Nick and Alex and Flexi Ferg. Um, yeah, we'll do those three. My question is, with the increased cost of living, how do you expect people to start going out to events more when you can go to a, a legal rave? Thanks, Nick. I was on Ivy on Saturday and I checked my bank account before. I spent 40 bucks on a drink or like a couple of drinks. When you can spend $40 a bottle of vodka or whatever else you want, um, why would you go to an event? At, I also work for Solitel as bias, but <laughs> why would you go to a, an event where you can spend that compared to an illegal rave and spend... Abercrombie's no better. <laughs> oh, I get half price there. It's fun. But anyway... <laughs> Me, me first? All right. Um, 
I mean, it's a good point. Like, that's definitely a big part of our parties is that um, it is BYO, obviously. Um, we're not, like, selling anything, just a ticket price and the, the like, putting that all into the production and stuff. And Sydney is expensive and it is hard for people. Um, but as much as I love my own events and I think um, it's something so freeing about it, it's not sustainable to be able to do that every single weekend. And I think they're kind of more of a special thing, like once every month, once every three weeks. And in the in between, I think that um, like the venues that these guys run do put on really amazing things. And yes, the prices are expensive and I don't really know what the solution to that is, but I think there's a harmony between the two of them. I think um, that underground kind of vibe can exist like harmoniously with um, obviously licensed venues and stuff. So yeah, I guess that's my two cents on it. Um, and I think you need to consider that, um, you know, the, the cost of the, the drink that's going across the bar and like a club environment is not just the cost of like the alcohol in the bottle. You're paying for a whole bunch of staff, a whole bunch of infrastructure, um, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of production equipment, uh, international DJs, marketing, security, la -da 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 -da, like lots of other stuff. And unfortunately, a lot of that stuff's out of our control. So, you know, things are expensive and things cost what they cost. And unless we um, are prepared to go broke and close down, then unfortunately, those costs get passed on to the consumer. So, you know, the only, I guess, Jax, if you could. Um, direct your question to the uh, Reserve Bank, that would be <laughs> probably the best outcome. <laughs> Do you want to weigh in, Alex? Oh, I pretty much agree. I mean, I think, you know, Jackson should also know this from being in the marketing team that, you know, <laughs> we, <laughs> we um, you know... Jackson's salary, that's Yeah, good. exactly. <laughs> He's fired. You're fired. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I think it's more like it's from a venue perspective as much as, you know, we're trying to do like happy hours and bring people in early, look at late night happy hours to kind of reduce the cost of things with kind of bringing people in. But at the end of the day, life's expensive. Like everything's expensive. Ubers are expensive. Transport's expensive. Like it's just, it's just life. I want to ask what the profit margin is being an economist, but I won't. Uh, any final questions that are good? Final calls? Happy days. Enjoy the rest yep. of your night.